On this episode, I detail the discovery of Bowman's remains. I pass along two stories about true crime fakers. I give my opinion on Adnan Syed, and I cover a bunch of other stuff, including playing disc golf while sick. I'm Ed Dunsell, and this is Unfound Live for May 8th, 2023. Well, This live show should be interesting tonight. Should be very, very interesting. Um, As far as I can remember, this is the first live show that I will be doing um, sick because, you know, I really don't get sick. I have allergies and I have asthma that can kick in and everything, but I really don't get sick. But, um, kind of been fighting something for at least the last 36 hours, if not longer. So we'll see how this live show goes. I just don't know, but I'm a person that believes the show must go on. And coming from an entertainment background, um, the show must go on. And in fact, I can even think back to my days of working at Star Trek. Uh, the the attraction was open on September 11th, 2001. I worked that day, as a matter of fact. In the evening, not during the actual day, but in the evening, it was open. And there were actually people there, go figure. So that's what was in my mind as I... Uh, was thinking about this live show tonight, uh, and I'll get into that in a second. But yes, this is the live show for what is today, May eighth. And forgive me if my mind is not as crisp as it usually is, because I just once again feel a little out of it. But this is a live show for May eighth of twenty twenty three. Before I get uh, too deep into this, uh, please subscribe to this channel. Please give this video, this live show, a thumbs up. You know it helps us. You know you're supposed to do it. So just do it. Just do it right now. Now, granted, if you're like watching in your car, you know, I don't want you to wreck or anything, but um, you know, when you get to the next stoplight or stop sign, Hit the like button on this. uh, Give it the thumbs up. You know you want to. If you'd like to go one step further, hit the join button below. Become a member of this channel. You get some things that other people do not. For example, the new series Found, in which uh, the most recent episode is me discussing the disappearance and then discovery of Elizabeth Smart, and you get some stuff, and your contribution certainly helps what we do here, so please consider joining this channel by hitting the join button below for just $2.99 a month, 
Or if you prefer, you can go over to patreon.com forward slash unfound podcast and become a supporter over there. Your choice. You know, we don't want to pigeonhole you into one or the other. Pick one or the other. If you want to do both, that's great too. So as you could see in the description for tonight's uh, live show, I have a lot to talk about. And uh, so I think I have enough information to go the full two hours. The the question will be if I can go the full two hours. Um, Because as I said, starting out, I just knew there was something, you know, I had a disc golf tournament this weekend and played really well in the first round. Really, really well. But then in that second round, I could just tell something wasn't right. It wasn't a a yips thing or a nerves thing or anything else. It was just something. And, of course, it's hot out there, but I have my umbrella blocking out the sun, and I brought plenty of water, and I ate and everything. But I could just tell something wasn't right. And I was thinking, well, you know, I don't, you know, all these tournaments, not many of them are like two rounds in one day anymore. Maybe that has something to do with it. I really didn't know. Came home, was tired and everything, got some uh, unfound work done. But I woke up on Sunday morning, and I still have it, this headache right across here, right across my eyebrows, right in here. And then I didn't have a sore throat or anything, but like the back of the top of my mouth was raw. And I had these little kind of sniffles going on as well, and they're continuing. And really, the only thing I've taken so far is Advil, and that's just for the headache. So, you know, to see if that works and just to calm everything down so I can get some work done. And I did get, you know, some good work done today for Unfound. But, you know, it was like, well, maybe, you know, who knows what's going on. So I went out to uh, warm up before the last round of this tournament. I had no power whatsoever. No accuracy, no power whatsoever. Um, Just throwing the usual way I do without really trying to throw really, really hard. I can throw about 330, 340 feet. I was maybe throwing 280, 270, 280. And I knew something was up. And I said, this round is going to be an adventure. And it was. And uh, then I, of course, uh, came home. Had a meeting with Shereen and Eric. Uh, fought through that. I think they, uh, as I told both of them, I wasn't feeling too great. And then I had the think tank yesterday evening. Was Still wasn't feeling too great. And um, I slept for like 12 hours last night. I went to bed at like 11. And I didn't get out of bed till after 11 today. And I still, you know, like I said, I still feel a bit out of it. Still got the thing going on. No sore throat or anything, but just like the back of my mouth up into my sinuses just a little bit. Um, I don't know. But like I said, this I don't get sick. I just don't. Um, I get food, of course, food stuff. And I've had some things. You don't have to watch what I eat and all that stuff these days with FODMAP issues and food allergy issues and all these things. But as far as viruses and go, you know, I don't even know. So is this COVID? I've already had COVID. 
I don't, I don't know. But I, I was just talking to my dad before the show started. And uh, I was telling him, I said, you know, I feel like about a six out of 10 right now. Six out of 10. So that's so, like I said, uh, over the next not quite two hours, if you're thinking Ed just doesn't seem like himself, well, that's probably what it is. But like I said, wanted to do the show. I did get the editing of this Friday's ep- uh, episode done, interview editing of the inter. So I got some good work done today. But I was over on that couch and sat there all day and just sat there. Uh, just doing as little <coughs> as possible. So uh, once again, if you would like, please give this video a thumbs up before uh, you do anything else uh, while you are viewing tonight. So let's see who's in here. Hello, Charles, uh, nephew Charles, Charlotte, Karen, Mark, Jasmine. Hello, Paula. Paula, supporter of this channel. Thank you, Paula. Moderator, Cherie. Um, Twinkle, what's going on? Lori, woot, woot. Same to you. Lisa, hi, handsome. Oh, behave, Lisa. And fishing, what's going on? Uh, thank you, Charlotte. I hope I'm feeling better too. And hello, Cindy, what's going on? And uh, Sheree says, my son is sick too. He must be contagious. That's funny. It must be uh, only for guys with long hair, Sheree. That must, it must be the long-haired guy uh, virus that's going around. Miranda, what's going on? And... Um, Let's see, uh, let's see if I'm going to, there's something going on once again with the uh, chat. So I'm going to have to hold on one second. Um, hold on just one moment while I fix something. Uh, let's do this. And let's do that. I'm going to have to put this on mute. All right. Okay. So my screen is locked up. The video is obviously working, but the chat is locked up. But I can see the chat by looking at my other uh, screen as long as that one doesn't lock up. So uh, there you go. Charlotte, thank you for becoming a member of this channel. And uh, Miranda, hello, Twinkle. Uh, maybe you have a sinus infection. That very could well could be. I just don't know how I would have gotten one, Twinkle, to be honest. Shree says, look at the back of your throat. And uh, you might have tonsillitis. I don't want to even want to think about doing that. I don't want to gross myself out, Cherie. Um, but uh, you need to see a doctor. Yeah, it, you know, the thing about about you know doctors is that you know it's not easy to get in to see one these days. Not even down here. But uh, hello, Marty. What's going on, Orky? What's going on with you? Uh, Sri laughs at my comment. Nurse, what's going on? How good to see you. And Miranda says, I've been working evening, so I've only been able to listen. That's okay, Miranda. 
I'm no longer working evenings. While I hopefully you like that change, Miranda. So that is what is going on um, with me. Like I said, uh, probably disc golf could have been really good this weekend had I just not begun to feel out of it. But uh, and I'm hoping that this uh, I'm and I'm supposed to play again this weekend. So, um, you know, if we get to like Wednesday and I'm still feeling like this, I'm just going to have to get out uh, because I would like to at least practice one day before, uh, you know, Saturday comes along. I'm playing, luckily I'm playing the same course. I'm playing in a different division this weekend though. So that's not so bad, but I would like to get out and loosen up and maybe work on a couple things uh, before Saturday. But if I can't do that, then I'll probably just withdraw. We'll just have to see. Uh, Twinkle, we have to go to urgent care if we want to be seen right away. That's true, Twinkle. Totally true. Miranda says the day shift is so much better. Okay, very good. All right, so let's get into the show and... um, uh, I, you know, I usually start with a poll uh, for the preceding Friday. Of course, this would have been the disappearance of Alan Glasgow. But I'm um, not going to do that because because of things going on. I didn't even post the poll until today, and so I'm not going to get into that. Instead, uh, I'm going to go someplace that's a lot more important uh, news. And I know most of you now know that Bowman was found. And in fact, he had been found for actually quite a while. And when I say quite a while, there's now paperwork that you can now see on the LA County Sheriff's Office page or coroner's page that shows that a deceased male was found in the Santa Monica area on April 25th. So two weeks ago, and it's only been within the like the last, it seems, 24 hours that the identity of that dead male uh, was released. And unfortunately, um, it was Bo Man. If this is news to you, uh, maybe you can, I'm going to be talking about it now, but that's what's been going on over the last 24 hours. I was first alerted to it. Sometime yesterday evening, I, Shri, I don't even remember. Um, this must have been after the think tank that I saw this, I think. I think. And like I said, my mind's a little bit of a fog. But here is the way I understand uh, what went down. And I will get into, and I've already posted um, a picture of the area and a picture of that uh, alleyway and somebody is actually one of Bo's friends or somebody actually has gone down to right to the location where he was found and, and took some pictures, maybe even did some video or something like that. And I've seen some of the pictures. Uh, Shri is saying that this all came out yesterday, nine thirty Texas time. So, you know, late, late last night, I guess you could, you could call it that, um, it started getting out and that the perception I have is that Jason, who was uh, Bo's boyfriend or, you know, I think also involved in the sober grid app, something happened on Saturday evening where he had posted on his page 
I've just gotten some distressing information and I can't talk about it. So that was on Saturday. And then it was on like, like Sharia is posting here on Sunday night, last night. So like 10 o'clock, 1030 Eastern time. So 730 in the evening out there in LA uh, is when it finally got out. Somebody posted that yes, Bo had been found, but some of the information was wrong. And so I'm going to go, um, through all of this just to maybe kind of, uh, correct the record. I, I don't know how much, um, uh, Sheree's saying I told her at 10, 930, so 10.30 last night. Okay. Thank you, Sheree. So here's what, see, I, you know, and that I'm going to describe what has gone on in the last, you know, two weeks, it seems. And then I'm going to take a longer look at getting into, well, now that we know where he was found and everything, you know, how are we supposed to look at his disappearance, which of course happened a year and a half ago. And yes, I realized that seemingly he was found not too long after his episode came out. And maybe, I don't know if that's a coincidence or not. In addition, if you don't know the vanished with Marissa over there, She's doing like a four-part series, and I think it seems to me that his remains, although they weren't identified right away, the remains were found right around the same time that she started the series. Is this a a coincidence or not? I have no idea. I don't know if it's a coincidence that this happened a month after the Unfound episode came out. I don't know if it's a coincidence that it happened right when she started. And like I said, us covering Bo's disappearance so closely together, at least to my perception, it's just a coincidence. Um, I I really can't remember when I spoke to Amy and interviewed her, did she say anything about her going to be on the, on the vanished? I don't know. All I know is when I did talk to her in early April, she did say that she had been interviewed and it was going to be like a series. I didn't know how many episodes, but it was going to be more than one episode of The Vanished, which I, my understanding is a little rare. But, um, so I don't know if the podcasts and all this had that much to do with it. Maybe I'll be, I'll be told otherwise at some point. Right now, I really don't know. So what it seems happened back on April 25th is that there was a homeless guy in Santa Monica who was in a lot right down the street. Now, you should know where Bo was found is right down the street from Joe Good's apartment. In fact, the alleyway that runs along the long side of where uh, Joe lived is the alleyway where Bo was found, but it was like two or three or four blocks away from that. So you could go out of Joe's apartment, go to the right, walk a little bit, there's an alley. And if you made another right and started down that alley and walked only maybe two or three minutes, where Bo was found was down that alley on the left. And it it looks to me to be a very, very seedy part of, of Santa Monica. I think maybe a, a lot of people have this idea of Santa Monica, you know, kind of valet and upper scale and everything. When you go and look at this, and if you want to go and take a look at this, all you have to do is put in um, 2909 Santa Monica Boulevard in Santa Monica, and you'll see the storefronts. And all you have to do is do a Google Street View and go around the back, and you're going to see what I'm talking about. But 
there was a homeless person in that area had gone into the back of these stores. It was still open. They call it like a courtyard. And I guess that's what you could call it. But in it, but if you go to the Google Street View, it's all fenced off at that point. But some homeless guy had gone back in there and found a dead body. Let authorities know. Came in, took the body away. And I guess it just took some time for them to figure out that this was Bowman. Um, now we have to remember that he went missing a year and a half ago. Uh, the truth is, let's ju- you know just to kind of you know make sure we don't forget anything here. We really don't know if his remains were there the whole time. We have to be open to the idea, and I'll get into this a little bit. We have to be open to the idea they really didn't die on the day that he went missing. We just don't know that. All we know is here in April of 2023, his remains were found where they were. I don't know if they'll ever be able to determine how long the remains were there. But they collect the remains. Now, it would seem to me that you'd be able to identify who it was a lot quicker than what they did. Maybe this shows that uh, maybe had they forgotten about Bowman, it seems like they would have been able to put two and two together. Well, we got this dead person here, and we know that a guy went missing right down the street. It very well may be that they didn't even know or forgot or something that Bo man went missing right down the street from where this, this dead body was found. What we also don't know is that it may be very commonplace in that area that they're finding dead homeless people all the time. So we need to keep that in mind. It would, I think our knee jerk reaction would be, well, if they found him on April 25th and that's so close to Bowman to Joe goods, how could they not automatically think that it was Bowman? Well, we just don't know how many dead homeless people they're running into in that area. We just don't know. So it seemingly took some time. I think I read it might have been dental records that they used to identify him. Maybe. I don't think it was DNA. But we now know the Bowman was found in this what they're calling a courtyard. It's really not that nice. Behind this building, seeing some pictures, it does seem like a place where homeless people hung out. I saw like a little pot or little something grill were back there, and there was some clothes and some writing and everything. Let's just admit it. It just looks like a homeless type of place. It looks like the type of place, dare I say it, that people who are addicts might go to do drugs. Just my perception. And so he was identified, and that is how we now gotten to this point. That we now know that Bowman is deceased, but that's all we know. I, I haven't heard anything if, you know, they're, they're going to do an autopsy to try to figure out how he died. But at this point, that uh, I haven't heard anything about foul play or anything else. But it's very early on. Remember, the story is still very, very new. And maybe next week I'll have more to say about it. I don't know. And, uh, you know, it's not like, on the other hand, and all of you should understand, if you're new to the podcast, if you're new to Unfound, if you're new to me, you know, this is probably about 
we're in the 20s now, 20 something of disappearance that have been resolved that unfound is covered. You should know that my policy is not to just call the guest as soon as something like this pops up. Okay. I don't want to be known as that person trying to call up and find out all these details and everything else. That is not what I do. I let it go for a little while. Okay. There's the, you know, the, uh, as we would know, Amy, Bo's mother, the rest of his family, uh, Jason, his boyfriend, all these friends, you know, they're going to be grieving for the rest of their lives. And I, but I, you know, I just need, you know, you just need enough. Certainly I want to get some more particulars about all this, not because I'm nosy or nebby, as they say in Western Pennsylvania, but because it helps me understand disappearances more. And this is what has gone on like with Zoe Campos when her remains were found. I eventually did talk to her mother. When Andrea Bowman was eventually found on Dennis Bowman's property, I eventually talked to her biological mother who was the guest but not like the same day or like the next day or, or anything. You know, just, there's just a bad feeling, but that's not what I do. I certainly want to know. I certainly want to talk to him about it. And probably a lot of things they're going to say are off the record and everything, but I don't want to be seen as, Oh, uh, you know, here is that on the phone. So I got to give it time. All right. Just, they have their things to do. And I'm sure that I will talk to Amy uh, when she's ready to talk. Uh, But I don't want to be seen as an opportunist or anything because that's not who I am. So this is where we are right now. Now, let's now go now allow me to go back and uh, try to do a little theorizing, a little conjecturing. And try now to put it, piece it all together, what could have happened. I'm going to read some chat things first. Um, Honestly thought he was still alive somewhere. Mark is saying he honestly thought Bo was still alive somewhere. Charlotte, I was hoping he was still alive too. Rockford, it's curious that Unfound then True Crime Garage and Vanishing did episodes on this case within about six weeks of each other. Rockford, I I don't know what to tell you. Um, Sometimes these things happen. you know, all I would say to that, Rockford, is that, you know, I did the Unfound Now on Bowman way back in early 2022. Not sure if I ever knew it was going to become a regular Unfound episode. I was, of course, hoping it would be found alive well before I would ever consider doing his disappearance as a regular episode. Also, I can say, as I keep saying over and over, I really don't pay attention to what other podcasts and other YouTube channels do. I really don't. Mostly of what I find out is what all of you tell me. Hey, this podcast covered the dis- this disappearance that you talked about, you covered in 2019. That's usually how I find out. I really do not pay attention to what other uh, places do. So I can say honestly, had no idea. Uh, I work on my own schedule. Uh, I don't work on other people's schedules, on other host schedules. But I will say, if I do find out that a disappearance has been uh, covered, for example, if Marissa over at The Vanished were to cover, you know, some disappearance in a few weeks, I never want to be seen as somebody is following, you know, trying to follow up on somebody else's coattails. You know, well, they covered it. Now we're going to cover it. Maybe there's get more attention. That's really, I, I don't do that. And in fact, it's like the opposite. Um, 
if I find out that another podcast or, or YouTube channel has covered a disappearance, uh, and Emily and my assistant Emily and I have even talked about this, it's like, well, you know what? Probably going to have to give it some time. Now, there may be coincidences like this, what's happened here, but trust me, if I found out that, for example, if it happened a little different, the True Crime Garage covered Bowman's disappearance, and I was thinking about covering it, even though I'd already done it as an Unfound Now episode, I probably would have put it on the back burner. And maybe thought, well, we'll see what happens. And maybe we'll, maybe a year from now, uh, if nothing, if he's not found or, or whatever, it will come, you know, I'll consider it. It's just, like I said, this is just something I don't care what anybody else does. I don't care what any other channel or podcast does. But for me, if I find out that a channel or podcast has covered a disappearance and I'm thinking about covering that same disappearance, probably going to just put it to the side for now. So I don't know what to tell you regarding that. I'm not saying they're, they may have been planning to do this for a while. And, you know, Marissa and the, the people with the guys at the true crime garage might not even know that I'm going to need to recover the disappearance. I have no idea. I have no idea. Lisa Bo's case is one that really stuck with me. He was really very trusting and really wanted to help people. Him buying ice, mouthwash, having the computers with him. All of that is so mysterious. Marty, it's an interesting case. Very sad. I was hoping for a positive outcome. I wonder who tried to access his bank. I'm going to, uh, Jenical, I'm going to go into that right now. So now that we unfortunately know, you know, it's very unfortunate that Bowman is dead. And, but we don't know what happened. Might've been an overdose. Might've been foul play. We, we just don't know right now. But what sticks out to me, and you should also know, when I did the blog um, for Patreon, once again, patreon.com forward slash unfound podcast, if you would like to read what I wrote about Bo's disappearance when we covered it, uh, what was it, not quite two months ago, and the conclusion I came to was that just looking at his behavior, looking at what he bought, looking what he did, looking at what he did that day, my perception is that he was meeting somebody. When I see a, uh, what he bought, mouthwash, and some of these other things, you know, and I don't think this matters if you're gay or straight or bisexual or whatever else, you know, I think people prepare kind of the same way if they're going to meet somebody. And and so when I see somebody doing that, it gives me the perception. It, it seemed to me that Bo was planning to meet somebody. Because I could see maybe me buying some of these things if I was going to be meeting uh, a woman for a date. Or maybe, you know, maybe it's just not the first date. Maybe it's like the 10th time we're getting together or something. This is how I could see myself behaving. So I was under the impression that the reason he got dropped off at 1338 Berkeley Street is because somebody wanted to meet him there. That doesn't mean it was Joe in a good Joe Good, though. Now, we now know uh, that a lot of people were going in and out of her place. We know that there would be times when she was gone and maybe other people would be over there and she wasn't there. It's like it was just a place that people could go in and out of. 
very open to the idea that maybe she was out somewhere and some guy who knew her and Bo, uh, you know, the guy said, Hey, come over here. You know, I'm at Joe's place. And, uh, you know, Bo went there. And as I talked about uh, recently on the update episode, how I did speak to a woman who claims that she saw Joe and Bo together, although it was several years ago, I'm still not sure what to make of that. It seems uh, a little too convenient for me, but maybe not. And um, so it's not crazy to think that he met somebody there at that address. It does not have to be Joe Good. And something went bad. And that Bo was found just right down the street. I think it's between two-thirds and three two-tenths and three-tenths of a mile away, so like only a quarter mile away. And all you have to do is go out of Joe's, make a right, go out to the main street, make a right, and then make a right into that alleyway and walk straight down there, and it's on the left. It does seem like a very convenient place that somebody could drop off a dead body and not be found for a while. Now, of course, the question is, we're not talking like out in the woods. We're talking LA, second largest city in the United States, a large city by any standard. We're not talking about uh, some of these disappearances like Matthew Braswell, he went missing out in the middle of nowhere, ran away from the car wreck, and then his remains were found, you know, out in the woods. Especially since it seems the way I've seen the pictures, the way I understand the area. It seems like where Bo was found seemed to be a popular place where homeless people would go. But we just have to understand something, and that's why I posted some of the pictures. My perception looking at Google Street View is at the time of Bo's disappearance, that area where he was found was fenced off. The building was condemned. In fact, you can go back to like about 2017 if you want to do a Google Street View and see a time where there were people living in those buildings and the, you know, the shrubs were didn't take care of and things were, you know, kind of looking nice. And I don't know what happened, but by like 2019, it, the place had gone to crap. There was a fence around it and that's the way it's been. Now, I don't know what it looks like today. It seems to me that those fences aren't there anymore given that, this person uh, who took the video or the photos, you know, went in there and everything else. And so I don't know. So the question is, obviously, when Bo went missing in 2021, this particular area was fenced off. There's not much doubt. Now, we know there's holes in the fence. You can climb over to the fence and uh, humans have a way of doing these things. It's obvious whoever owns that property didn't want anybody in there, but it's also obvious to me that people were getting in there. The question is, if Bo went there himself, how did he even know about this location? This is something that's going to stick with me. I don't know if we're ever going to get an answer to that. How is it if he got dropped off and then... The whole 1338 Berkeley Street was a fake. He actually did have intentions of getting dropped off there, but he was going actually going to go somewhere else. 
to do something. We just have to be open to that now. Then how did he even know about this place right down the street? Now, granted, his gym's right there across the street from Joe Goods, but I don't know if that translates into him knowing about that place down the street. Now, he might have known it just because of the work that he did with Sober Grid and knowing, you know, dealing with addicts. And and we have to be, unfortunately, open to the idea that Bo did relapse. Given where he was found and everything, this is something we're going to have to consider. But a big question is, how did he even know about this area? Maybe because he had gone in there before. Maybe because when he was clean, he was going down there to talk to people about their addiction who were hanging out in there. Certainly possible. But on the other hand, given that it was so close to Joe Good's house, we can't rule out the idea that he might have been put there too. Because somebody who lived in that area, something happened and this person knew, well, I can just put Bo in this area, go down, put him on this piece of property. And I don't know if this person could have predicted that Bo wouldn't be found for a year and a half. But but the big question is, it seems like this place had been used before. And how did it take a year and a half to Bo, for Bo's body to be discovered there? I don't have a good answer to that. I don't know. We don't know exactly how he was put there. We don't know if somebody tried to cover him up. We don't know. There's a lot of things we just don't know. We can say, well, Bo was found on this piece of property and it's outside and everything. But we don't know if he was tucked around a corner. We don't know if somebody tried to cover him up with things. We don't know. So let me read some of, uh, I wonder who tried. So, and I'm going to get to the bank stuff here shortly. Uh, Lori said, how was old as Bo? He was, he's in his late thirties. Lori Rockford agreed that he was meeting someone else, but also I don't buy putting in Joe Good's address was a coincidence. Both addicts, similar circles, some Facebook connection, a witness claim. It's a lot. I guess it's one of those things, Rockford, where not any one particular piece of information is significant, but you put it all together and it does start to sound significant. It's like the saying I've always said, you know, you know, you count up enough pennies and at some point you start talking about real money. Genical, but that doesn't explain the Uber 911 distress call. Going to get to that. Mark, if I remember correctly, this was fairly close from where he actually lived. That's true, Mark, but Joe's could place was much closer. I mean, Joe Good and uh, I would say that Bo's place where he was living was like two and a half miles away or something, Mark. Something like that. Rob, it looks like pandemic hit those local businesses hard. Lisa, could he have been heading home and then someone asked him for help? And he, he would have been in the wrong direction, Lisa. Uh, hello, Ferry. What's going on? Sadly, I did. LAPD will spread much time working on those answers. Uh, yeah, uh, that's going to be one of these things where if they want more answers, uh, Bo's family is going to have to do it. Tara, do we know how long Bo's body had been in the location where he's found? No. Tara, we don't. And this is something that's a little hard to understand uh, you know, that and see, you know, with my foggy brain of being sick, let me see if I can talk this out. Um, he went missing in December of 2021. Right. It's been a while. And 
the location where he was found was fenced off at the time. It might not be fenced off here in 2023. It wasn't fenced off in 2017 because people were living or whatever. But around that 2019 era, right in that area right in there, I don't know what happened, but they just fenced the whole thing off and just let the whole property just go to crap. So somehow, Bo or somebody with Bo's body uh, put him in there. And I don't, you know, and it seems... Uh, unlikely to me, the bowman or whoever might have put him there. You know, we have to go in two different directions here. We have to, you know, we come to like, uh, what was it? Uh, wasn't uh, whoever that was. You know, you come to a divergent, you're walking a path, you come two directions. I have to try to explain two directions, the non-foul play direction and the foul play direction. Um, What are the odds that Bo is the only one that goes into that property for a year and a half? It doesn't seem very likely. On the other hand, it doesn't seem very likely that somebody put his body there that could have ever predicted that he wouldn't be found for a year and a half. So, Tara, I don't have a good answer for you. I don't. But getting back to the bank records, we have to remember this bank was accessed... His bank uh, information, somebody tried to access it not long after he got dropped off at that um, at that address. So this could lead us to believe, at least it has led me to believe, I'm not ready to change my mind in any way. Really, there's no reason for me to change my mind and believing that he was meeting somebody and something went wrong. If you don't believe that, if you believe that he just disappeared and died all on his own. I'm fine with that too. Um, but the bank stuff is a little hard to, to, if you're thinking he just disappeared on his own, it's a little hard to explain. Because my reasoning was that he was meeting somebody, he got lured somewhere, something happened, and then somebody tried to rip him off by accessing his bank accounts, but never could get access to them. Now, this would then lead us to believe that, you know what, he really did, something did happen, somebody did put his body there. Either that, or as soon as he got dropped off there, he went right down to that alley and died, and then somebody else came across and found his computer, and then really, I mean, then this, then we're talking about things that happened very, very quickly. He got dropped off. And within minutes, within an hour or something, somebody else already had possession of his computer and, and or bank card or whatever. This would mean then that things happened a lot more quickly than maybe in a foul play scenario where somebody else was involved. That's the way I, I look at this timeline. Um, and we still don't have any IP addresses or anything information regarding the access uh, of that and I don't know if we'll ever have that. I don't know. Now, as far as, but doesn't that doesn't explain the 911 call, distress call. Uh, Jenical, I will tell you uh, what I wrote once again. I wrote a long blog on this at patreon.com forward slash unfound podcast. If you're interested in reading my word for word reasoning on this, it's a little hard for me to do off the top of my head. Whereas when I get to write it, I get to think everything out. And like I said, this was like six weeks ago. But 
Jenical, I've convinced myself that the 911 call was a mistake. To me, that doesn't sound, it doesn't sound like a 911, I'm in trouble. It seems to me that this was some type of mistake, that he thought he was texting whoever he was going to be meeting, but instead he might have been still in the in the Uber app or something, and he sent that text to 911 instead. And my guess is this is happening all the time. We only know about it because it happened in Bo Man's disappearance. My guess is that 911 is getting, mis- you know, texts uh, mis- uh, that are mistakes all the time. A lot of mistakes. And then, of course, a lot of people prank 911 too. We can't forget that. So we think that it's odd simply because we only know about this one circumstance of Bo Man. But I'm guessing if we could talk to a bunch of 911 operators here in the 21st century of 2021, 22, 23, that you'd say, yeah, they get a lot of texts, weird texts, a lot of weird calls that don't end up being anything. A lot of people are pranking 911 all the time. I mean, I know it's, you know, it's against the law and everything, but it happens. So, Genical, that's what I've convinced myself. If you have a different opinion on it, totally fine by me. I suppose you could look at it as, well, it really was a 911 text and he was in trouble and it had something to do with the Uber driver. And then the Uber driver did something to him and somehow the Uber driver dropped him off, you know, down the street. Then I start wondering, well, how would the Uber driver even know about this location down the street and how could this, it starts to me, my opinion, it starts to get very complicated, very, very fast. It's not physically impossible it's certainly conceivable but it seems improbable it just looked i look at that 911 text and it just seems to me and you put that in as rockford was talking earlier about you know the all these things kind of you have to kind of put you can't look at any one particular thing by itself you have to put it together with uh you know the uber address and what he bought and then you put in the 911 call and put in everything else he was doing that day. And you you have to, can't just look at one thing. And the way the picture, when I put all the pieces together, it seems to me he was meeting somebody and he mistakenly texted 911 when he meant to text the person who he was going to be meeting. Because if you look at the text to 911 in the context of meeting somebody, it makes all the sense in the world. Well, I'm in an Uber. It's great. Because if you look at that in the context of a really urgent 911 call or or text, it really is not descriptive enough for it to help 911 at all or the police at all. So that's how I reason uh, that all out. Let's see what everybody's uh, saying, uh, saying here. Charlotte asks, I wonder if they ever found his laptop and backpack and other things he had with him. I had no, no news on that. Uh, it sounds like someone had set him up. Uh, no, did Kay send all that time in an area where people hang out? Eric, uh, good point. Uh, I'm not sure what to make of that, especially, you know, the only thing I would say to that, Eric, is that he did disappear, not in, you know, in a colder time of the year, even though I know this is LA cold is relative. Maybe that has something to do with it. 
Sure, he says, indicate someone had a plan if it went down that quick. Maybe someone lured him there. I also believe the Uber call was a mistake because it was never finished. Charlotte agrees with Shreemore. I do believe the 911 text was a mistake. Nurse says, uh, no, I guess 911 mistakes happen all the time. Paul, it took several clicks to get to that 911 screen inside the Uber app. That's what perplexes me. It's not a one-click thing. Uh, you may be right. Paula, it's just, you know, who knows? We just don't know. Uh, Lisa, I think people knew he was there, but our homeless addicts going to report this not until three podcasts cover the disappearance. Could be Lisa, but it was a homeless person that eventually came forward. Although, dare I say it, the homeless, that homeless, the picture of that homeless person, he really did have a really nice bike. Ferry, maybe person was Uber with him. Did, did, we, did we talk about that? There are no indications he was with anybody. Ferry. Robert, I agree with you on the 911 call. He did not seem to be in a clear state of mind that day. I think the Uber driver is a red herring. It was merely part of this confusing odyssey that he concocted. Paul, I wonder if he was just looking at Uber to see if that was a feature he could put on the sober grid and he clicked one time too many. May, uh, what's up, Jill? We're talking about Bowman. Marty, 911 text is just an odd factor in, the, in an odd case. It is. So we can certainly see a scenario. He's going to meet somebody at Joe Good's place. If you want to believe it was Joe Good, that's fine with me. And something happens, and this person takes Bo's dead body down the street and puts him right down that alley, puts him where he was eventually found. The big issue is that could that person have predicted it would take all this time to find Bo's body? I don't know. On the other hand, it's certainly possible that Bo did get dropped off at 1338 Berkeley Street, went into the house, whether Joe was there or not, and there wasn't foul play. Maybe he did meet somebody and got high and he just stumbled off and stumbled down to the street and stumbled into this place down there where he died that's possible too and then in that way it's really no different than the disappearance of noah davis it's really no different than different than the disappearance of crystal morrison although it's still unclear if she was still doing doing drugs or not at that time all these things but in that way it's not that unusual disappearance what makes it unusual is that it happened in an area where what are the odds that Bo ended up in an area where he wouldn't be discovered for a year and a half this this is kind of like also like Daniel Villarreal that I talked about in the update episode where he gets into these two, two car wrecks stumbles off what are the odds that he finds his way to an outdoor bathroom on somebody's property that hasn't been used for years and wasn't used for a while. And then suddenly somebody decides to go and fix that takes the doors locked person takes the doors off door off the hinges. And guess what? There's Daniel Villarreal. What are the odds? And I don't, you know, I, I'm not inclined to believe that there was any foul play in Daniel Villarreal's disappearance or not. So if I'm, if I'm, you know, thinking that Daniel Villarreal didn't die due to foul play, I guess then I have to be open to the idea that Bowman didn't just didn't die due to foul play either, because the circumstances, once again, kind of similar.
going missing in a city area. And what are the odds that both of these guys would find areas in these very populated cities where there aren't a lot of parks, not a lot of little cubby holes and things. Both of them would just happen to find areas that they wouldn't be found for a while. I don't know. It's tough. Disappearances are tough. I'm going to keep saying it. Disappearances are tough. Uh, Greed Marty, maybe a sign he was using. If so, we have to separate what he did to himself versus what he did done to him, if anything. Shree, maybe the person didn't care how long it took to find the body. One day, same as 400 days. Still wouldn't think they would be implicated. Shree says, Bo didn't go to that address for no reason. Uh, that is surely a, a good point, Shree. That... um. There's a reason he put that address in there. There's a reason. Now, if his intention, let's just say, was always the intention was to go down there, and we don't know if he had relapsed or not, but that news, that, you know, that talk is out there. Would it really matter? You know, he's just some nameless Uber driver. Why didn't he just have him drop him off at the corner? I think the corner, the cross streets right there are Santa Monica and Yale Street. Why not just have him drop him off right there at Yale and Santa Monica Boulevard? And and being that it would be a shorter walk than getting dropped off at Joe Good's place. So, Sheree, I agree with you that I do not believe that address was randomly picked. I, I, I agree with you. Um, I couldn't spend a red word. I do believe he could have relapsed. Lisa, someone on the vanished said that she knew based on what he had bought, he had relapsed. He would do a lot of cleaning when he was relapsed. Okay. Okay. I don't know. We have to remember that day he did go down to the Skid Row area. And then... Of course, he went up and got this massage, and to remind all of you, but he didn't get picked up at the massage place. He got picked up down the street, and as I pointed out at the time, I think also in the blog, if he got a massage, it was like the the quickest massage ever. It was like the way the timeline works out, it had to have been no more than like a 20-minute massage. Now, I'm not much of a massage, massage guy. I don't like strangers putting their hands on me. Um, but massages go for long. I mean, I suppose you can get a short massage, but massages, if you go to a a massage place, they're usually longer than 20 minutes, right? So, and then he didn't get picked up at the actual address. He got picked up down the street. I don't know. So, um... Uh, Shree says exactly. And why not get the drugs and go home to do them? Right. Charlotte, maybe the massage was a cover for drug deal or something. Charlotte, that's certainly, uh, something, uh, you have to consider. I'm not saying I necessarily buy into that, but, um, it's tough. You know, this is, see, these are those things that makes the, the, these are the things that make disappearances so difficult. Because no matter what we were all thinking about Bowman's disappearance, even if we thought it was foul play, even if we thought it was him going off to do drugs or running off or something like that, 
I don't know if anybody really could predicted necessarily that we'd be found right down the street in an area where it seems other people were over the last year and a half or how long ever long it's been. I don't think any of us could have predicted that. This is this is kind of in, um this is in contrast to a disappearance that we did not cover on Unfound because it was solved uh even I think before Unfound got started. Uh, but that Brian Barton disappearance in the state of Washington where he was in the house and he was having allegedly having problems with the, with his roommates. And, you know, there were a lot of people thinking the roommates did something to him. And then fi- suddenly he's found you several years later, like a mile and a half away in some brush on the property of a church. And the whole time these people going to this church were parking within feet of his body. And it wasn't until the church decided to tidy everything up but there was Brian. <clears throat> so this is not like that. So it's just, it's just really hard. We just don't have a lot of facts right now. We just don't have enough um, to really, ma- you know, make any hard decisions regarding this. I uh, wonder if he was being blackmailed, Twinkle says. Hmm. Okay. Marty, I don't think he wanted people to know what he was doing. That's why the massage was probably a cover. Uh, Those are referred to as happy massages. Maybe fairy. Leah, so he bought drugs at Joe's and either overdosed there, wandered off to the area where he was found and overdosed there. Leah, do you remember what his drug of choice was? I don't. Marty Marty also got to take into account fentanyl overdose. All he could take is one hit and it could be the last. That's right. But let's just be clear about something. Although... Drugs seem to kind of make a sense uh, their sense in the, his disappearance. We don't have any facts regarding that. It doesn't help that he was going to get dropped off at a place of a known drug user, Joe Good. It doesn't help. It doesn't help that he uh, at least used to be an addict. It doesn't help that he was around a lot of people who were addicts or uh, trying to go clean all the time either. Uh, none of that helps. Uh, you know, and none of us dr- that takes us away from possibly thinking that Bo might have been on something that day. In fact, it draws us more to the idea that he was doing something that he shouldn't have been. But there's no proof of that. Rockford, I'm fairly sure it was meth, but don't hold me to that. Okay. So it's really all I can say. At, at this point, um, it, like I said, I, 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 I still understand the way I still understand this disappearance is that I'm not necessarily, you know, I, I don't know if I want to go, it was, you know, something was planned out. He was planning to meet someone. What is unclear though, is if somebody actually planned to harm him, it's unclear. Um, um, very true. It's all speculation at this point. Leah makes more sense that he was meeting up with someone and it ended in his death. Yeah. Now you should know something. Uh, when I found out about all of this, I did contact, uh, the woman who, uh, used, used to be friends with Joe Good. She was the one who put in contact me in contact with this other woman who said Joe and Bo were together. And, 
this was before I knew about this exact location and everything. I did text her today. She's not gotten back to me, you know, may, being that she's a local, maybe she knows a little bit more about that area and, if, you know, anything that, you know, pops up to her. I've not had a chance to speak to her yet. I don't think she's texted me back yet. Let me see here. I do have a text. Hold on. She did text me back. Um, and she was just at, she's just asking it was an overdose. Maybe I can call her after the last show's done. But, um, it's a, it's a puzzler and, and you hope you get these answers. But as we find out so many times, there's no guarantee that we'll get solid, solid answers regarding this. Just like with Tom Brown's disappearance. I think I, I continue to believe that if I live to be 90 years old, which will be 38 years from now, that uh, we'll, you know, we're still going to have people on different sides. Well, he was killed. It was an overdose. It was an accident. It was suicide. I don't know if that's ever going to get resolved. I hope we aren't to that point here with Bo. Of course, the autopsy hopefully will tell us a lot, but it's been a year and a half. Maybe the only good news is that it does sound to me like all of his remains were there together. He was still in one piece. In contrast to Tom Brown, in contrast to Noah Davis, uh, and maybe in a lot of other disappearances that haven't been covered by Unfound, or maybe you know, like Matthew Braswell, I don't think all of his remains have been found either. But at least this one, it, you know, maybe this is one of the benefits of him not disappearing out in the woods somewhere. He disappeared right in the middle of the second largest city in the United States. So, um, surprised. Um, but maybe I shouldn't be so surprised because as I was telling some of my assistants today, you know, this whole thing about a mile away keeps coming up. We have to remember that Esther Westenbarger, she was only found like a mile and a half away in her car away from that bar. We know that Crystal Morrison was found only about a mile away from where she was last seen. Noah Davis's remains, or at least one bone, was only, was found less than a mile from where he was last seen. Um, Robbie Hurt, remember his truck? His remains were found less than a mile from where his truck was. was. This distance keeps coming up. Now, of course, Tom Brown is an exception, but we also have to remember only 30% of Tom Brown was found. We don't know where the rest of his body was. It very well could be that he died within a mile of his Durango and then an animal or something dragged part of his body to the part place where it was the part of it was eventually found. There's no, there's no facts to rule that out. But this distance keeps popping up this mile, 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 right around a mile, 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 right around, around, you know, from last scene or a car or something. This is why when it comes to like Jason Landry's disappearance, that's why I continue to default to, I think he's like within a mile of where his car was found. And now that we know about Daniel Villarreal being found in an, like an abandoned outhouse right, on somebody's property there in the Phoenix area, about a mile, once again, another, another mile away in that area, that, that same distance. And we now know that Bowman was found in a place that I don't know if anybody could have really predicted I think with Jason Landry it's the same thing 
You have to totally think way, way outside the box for these things. I know it's a horrible cliche, but because as I did, and I mean, if you really want to kind of creep yourself out, at least it's creepy to me. If you want to do to go go to Google Street View, you can go into that alley on Google Street View and look at that area and you can get a picture. I think it's from November of 2022. Bowman is dead body is in that frame. You just can't see it because it's like behind the building. He was right there within 20 or 30 feet of the alleyway. And if, and if we're to believe it, his body had been there for some time. To me, to me, it's creepy. It's like, uh, like recently when I talked about the disappearance of Robert Helfrey, I miss, went missing in this car, and now he was found recently. You can go down and look at those Google satellite views of that very that pond and that housing complex where he was found, and know that his car and he are in that pond, but you can't see it. Same way with Esther Westenbarger. You can go back to satellite views from 2017, 2018 in Kokomo, Indiana. Looking down at that particular retention pond, you can't see anything, but you know she and her car are there. To me, it's creepy. And so you can do that with Bowman too and know that it's right there. And so then you start thinking about all of these other disappearances that we've known about, we know about, whether they were covered by Unfound or not, where people could be within feet of being found. You start doing Google Street Views, Google Satellite Views, and you're looking at an area, and that missing person, that dead person, could be right in that area. You just can't see it. It creeps me out, and it will continue to creep me out as long as I do this podcast. Um, hey, Coffee. What's going on, Coffee? Rockford, this close to him said he would hole up in hotels when he was relapsing. Obviously, that's not where he was found. That's certainly not where he was found. I think that puts him playing accidental overdose somewhere else and then a drop-off. Okay. Lisa, if you leave the theorizing up to me, I think Bo OD'd and either a drug new to him or laced with fentanyl. Okay, Lisa, Marty, I think he may have taken a hit for the road, not thinking it would be a big deal, and it was laced with fentanyl. He OD'd and people freaked out in the apartment. Okay. That is creepy and interesting. Regarding the pictures, yeah, it creeps me out, Leah. Very wow, yeah. It sure is creepy. Uh, Twinkle says, Shri, Marty, that would be more probable if someone didn't have access to his bank account after he was dropped off. I personally think he was lured there by someone he talked to. Yeah. Um, something, uh, you know, and that's the other thing. Uh, Shri does remind me something, and then I, I do want to move on to some other topics before the live show is over. You also, I actually have Sober Grid on my phone. Now, I've not accessed it in a while. But here's what I think I know about Sober Grid. I'm not saying that Bo intended this. But it could be a pretty good hookup app. Pretty, pretty easily. You know, everything, of course, you know, anything on social media these days could be a way for people to meet each other for doing all sorts of things. Uh, but Sober Grid, if you were to download it on your phone for free and like take a look at it, you could see how if you wanted to meet people for sexual rendezvous and other things, 
You can do that on that app. And so I have to admit that I've considered the idea that he might have met somebody through his app and that's where it all went wrong. And we do have to remember that Bo was in Texas just a day or two days before he went missing. And he was talking about how, you know, he wanted to meet some guy. So that would lend more to what I think Sheree is saying here. Marty could be the once he died, they took his card and tried to use it. Very common, Marty. Twinkle, could they put a gun to his head and demanded he see his bank account so they could see how much they could get? He put his passwords on the delay. They got angry. Uh, Twinkle, until we know the state of his remains, it, it's possible. But uh, if you ask me, if somebody does that to me, I'm putting in my correct passwords. Charlotte uh, says there were men in his life who worked with him and who was trying to help, who could have learned him. Surely, Charlotte, absolutely killed him. Absolutely. Saw him as, as an easy mark. Absolutely. Twinkle, the way he was going from place to place reminds me of movies where someone is demanding a ransom. It's interesting, Twinkle. Okay. So maybe I'll have more next week. Um, I am going to call this woman uh, after I'm done with this live show. If I can talk about anything that we say, uh, I will post it in the discussion group probably tomorrow. So let's move on to some other topics. So that is Bowman. I think they're just we just don't have enough facts to really rule anything out. We have his remains. Very sad. But as far as the information, I think a lot of things are still on the table. I think they're still on the table that he did this all himself, that he overdosed, that so many people put him there, that he got lured. Uh, you know, I don't know what the percentages are of breaking all that down, but it seems that um, a lot of things, a lot of possibilities are still on the table. Now, maybe a week from now, and they'll have been been narrowed down to one. Just have to see. But uh, not something that I expected. Moving on. Um, I want to talk about this just for a few minutes. Uh, it's kind of uh, two stories actually put into one. But you should know, uh, as, as bizarre as this is, that one of the guys who surely took part in the murders of Laura Bible and Ashley Freeman. Remember Ronnie Busick? Remember? This is just something that's happened since the update episode came out. Uh, he's getting out. And I will read what Laura's mother put on their Facebook page. This is Laureen Bible. I don't know what to say or do to know that the deal you were told was the best we could get for Ronnie Busick. And to make that deal and to find out just two short years later that he could have get out we, the Bible family, would never have agreed. To find out now that accessory to murder does not carry 85% for the inmate to serve, my question is why did the DA not know this when he told us about this deal? I'm asking any and all lawmakers to step up and join our fight. Unfortunately, this will not help in Laura's and Ashley's case, but to future families that may find themselves in the nightmare, I need your help. As Attorney General Gentner Drummond is asking for help in changing the law, I please plead that you will reach out and help me continue to be Laura and Ashley's voice. My number is 918-244-3625. If 
There has to be a change. We know better. We have to do better. Thank you to the multitude of people that are out there praying and helping. Um, I don't know. I, I, I just don't know how to. I, I don't know how insane this is. Now, the story that goes along with this, of course, is that Teresa Butler, which is once again a disappearance covered way back in 2017, just like Laura and Ashley's disappearances. That guy's out of jail. You know, I talked about how he's going to be getting out of jail. Melvin Hufford is out of jail now. I I don't know what's going on here. Uh, I think in every way, any part of the population in the United States can complain about the justice system. You know, there's a lot of talk in the United States these days about how they're letting too many people out of jail. Or on the other hand, too many minorities or, you know, the, the, the percentage of minorities that are in jail are way, you know, skewed compared to the, the racial population of the United States. A lot of complaints all over the board. But surely this is something that nobody can understand. How a deal can be made for somebody to go to jail for something and then this person gets out of after two years, when this person admitted to taking part in a murder or taking part in the cover-up or anything like that. Now, as you know, I think the story that Melvin Hufford told about going over there to do drugs with Teresa Butler and she OD'd and then he hit her body and all that, I believe that's all complete BS. I, I don't believe one word of it. At all. At all. In fact, I have to tell you that there, there's a large part of me believes that Teresa Butler is still out there somewhere, and she wasn't cut up like he said he did. No, she's out in the middle of nowhere. We know animals and everything else. But I'm still convinced that most of her remains are out there to be found somewhere, probably by accident. But he's gotten out, even though he told this totally, totally, totally sham story. And for Ronnie Busick, it's kind of the same thing. At least in these circumstances, it's not a total lie. Now, what may be a lie is Ronnie Busick saying, well, I have no idea what they are. And if you remember, maybe some of you forget this, but he was actually given a deal that if he revealed where Lara and Ashley are, he would have gotten some time taken off his sentence. Maybe we now know why he didn't say anything, not because he didn't know, but because he knew he was only going to be in for a couple years anyway. Now, the way I remember it, the story that he told is that, um, you know, he had no part. Yes, yes, they murdered these two girls, and but he took no part in getting rid of them. He wasn't the ringleader. Uh, we have to remember that Ronnie Busick does have some sort of learning disability, whether it was from an injury or something, I forget. But um, he claimed from the time that they charged him that he didn't know where they are. And we know that they are still missing. But I don't know what's going on here. But this is not new. This is exactly what happened in Angie Arnell's disappearance, too. Her, her husband went to jail for a few years, and he's been out for like 15 years now. She's still missing. He went to jail for doing something to her. She's still missing. 
he's out of free men. I don't know how, I don't know how, I don't know how any of these prosecutors and DAs live with themselves. I don't know how they sleep at night. I think the American population would just could live with the idea that Ronnie Busick never goes to jail. That Melvin Hufford go, never goes to jail. That Angela, Angela, Angie Yarnell's husband never goes to jail. And they just remain free men instead of this. This seems worse than that. This is like a slap in the face. You know, we realize that uh, even me, as a guy who's been doing this, you know, it'll be seven years in September. Even I know that trying to prosecute people without bodies is difficult. I get it. But it's not that difficult. You get so desperate that you just send these guys to jail for just a couple years because really it's just symbolic. This is not justice. It's the justice system. It's not the, um, you know, try to make everybody feel good by putting somebody in jail for a couple years system. It's this justice system. There is no justice here. And the way, you know, the way I am is that either people are going to be prosecuted for what they actually did, or let's just not even bother. Let's just acknowledge we know these people's names. We'll just make sure that everybody stays away from them and we can live with that instead of this. Um, let's see. Uh, let's see what every, uh, Rockford says violent street crime would be highly, highly unusual. Even in back alley of Santa Monica may look seedy, but it's well-traveled. Leah, if you know, he's the app developer. You might think you can steal from him. Certainly true. Leah, going back to Bowman, they could have been blackmailing him. Yes. Marty, that's insane to me uh, regarding Ronnie Busick and Melvin Hufford. Marty, it's honestly sick to think about how people can do these things and get a slap on the wrist. In New York City, you could do a violent crime and be back on the streets in a matter of hours. Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, unfortunately, Marty, you can't talk about this topic without it getting into the politics of it. We realize there are a lot of um, mayors that are for those kinds of things. But I think what is really confusing in these three cases is these are not areas of the country where the perception is that they go easy on criminals. I think when people hear about New York City or L.A. and some other big cities where people get, you know, um, you know, with all the vandalism we hear about now and and breaking into places and the people get um, get taken in and they're out within hours. And I'm thinking like of these uh, there was a fight between some police and some Antifa people recently and there was video of it. And, they, you know, and they got in this fight and they took these people to jail. These people were out of jail in hours. Uh, I'm not, you know, I'm not here to get into the politics of it, but you don't expect that with Ronnie Busick in Oklahoma. You don't expect this with Melvin Hufford in Missouri. And I, you know, and I have to admit, I forget where Angie Arnell went missing, but um, with state. But you don't expect this in these places. This is something that feels like more like it would happen, like you're talking about, Marty, in a bigger city where 
you know, they go about treating criminals in a different way. You don't expect this in Oklahoma or Missouri, but it's happening. This is, I think, what is, um, you just don't expect it. I, I don't know what to say about it. I, you know, and I'm sure that, I think we just have to realize that this is not about justice. This is just about making look like they're doing something. It's just to say, hey, look, we got Melvin Alfred. Look, we're putting him behind bars for a little bit. That's what it feels like to me. And I know what they, you know, I know what they may say. Well, little justice is better than no justice. I'm not sure that the families think that way. I don't think that way. I don't think a, a bunch of people in the United States think that way. I don't think that the voters in Oklahoma and Missouri think that way. So I don't know why these people who are in the justice system think that way. <laughs> and remember, a lot of these people are elected. So I just don't know. Uh, nurse says Missouri all. The NGRSL is Missouri as well. Thank you for reminding me. Uh, yeah, so we have two Missouri disappearances and an Oklahoma disappearance in which perpetrators spent just a little bit of time in jail. Charlotte, in many cases, the prosecutors are afraid, afraid to lose the case, so they don't even try to prosecute the suspects. You know what, Charlotte? I would rather that than this. That's where I am. You may be somewhere different in regards to all of this. I, me doing this is my job. It just doesn't make any sense to me. If this is what it was going to be, I would have just told these prosecutors, the DAs and all these, just forget it. Just forget it. If Angie Arnell's husband's only going to spend three or four years in jail, just forget it. Just don't even bother. If he's not going to reveal where she is and everything, just forget it. We know who he is. We'll put his name out there. We'll make sure everybody stays away from him. Same way with Melvin Huffer and everything. Just don't even bother. That's the way I feel about it. Marty, that's why it's so crazy about this whole situation. Yeah, Mark, you hit the nail on the head, Charlotte. Far too many catch and release prosecutors. Yep. Yep. Don't even bother with it. Because it's just an insult. It causes people to lose confidence in the justice system. Remember, it's the justice system. Does this sound like justice to anybody? I don't think it does. It's the justice system. It's not necessarily the legal system. It's the justice system. So that's what's going on there. And uh, that's why uh, that's one of the topics for tonight, of course. Justice system gone wrong. And I think this is a perfect example of that. A perfect example. Sheree, one might not think it happens here in Texas, but absolutely. Oh, I'm, I know. Hard on self-harming crimes. Soft on crimes and health officers. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, I, I, well, I get, yeah, you're right, Sheree. And like I said, I realize, realize there's a political side to this. That people in certain areas of the country look at other places in the country and think, how can they do that? Well, 
How can they do that there? We don't do that here. And it's like, yes, you do do that there. <laughs> yes, it's not just, you know, the big cities of the United States where the perception is people don't do enough time. This is going on everywhere. This is going on everywhere. And I would like to think that if I was in a position as a DA or, or somebody, I wouldn't have anything to do with any of this. If I knew that Ronnie Busick was going to be getting out in a couple years, I'd just say, it's not even possible. It's not even, let's not embarrass ourselves here. Um, the real late comer to this conversation. So I missed the beginning, but sounds like a lot like what happens in Australia. Yeah, we're just, uh, what we're doing the real and everybody should know the real is, uh, one of uh, Unfound's Australian listeners. What we're talking about, the real, is that with Laura Bible and Ashley Freeman, uh, the guy who surely was one of the guys who killed the two is getting out of jail after only a couple years. Likewise with Teresa Butler, the guy who surely killed her, even though he says he didn't, uh, is now out of jail after a couple years. And then we were talking about Angie Arnell, whose husband only served a few years for her disappearance. He's out as a free man. She's still missing. And we're just, you know, here in the United States as an American citizen, I'm, I'm just going over how all of this is not justice. So there you go. Let's move on to uh, another topic. And what do I want to, um, is there any unfound stuff that I want to talk about here? Uh, probably not. Um, I want to talk a little bit about Ad, Adnan Syed. Of course, this is the guy who um, his trial became very famous, of course, uh, killing his ex-girlfriend. And this is what the original pod, the podcast serial, uh, you know, gained its claim to fame. And if you don't know, though, and I know that he'd gotten out of jail, well, it's been going through the courts. Well, his this overturning has been reversed. And so his conviction has been reinstated. This happened back in April. And I think this is going this, you know, it's one of those things. I suppose this could end up at the Supreme Court theoretically. So he was in jail for a while and then he was let out. And the prosecution appealed. Well, now Adnan is going back to jail. His conviction from way back when, when they found him guilty, is has been reinstated. And so this has given me an opportunity, if you don't know, once again, this just happened within the last couple of weeks. Now, this I've talked about this before, but I did, given that you know, I haven't been, wasn't feeling very good today and we're preparing. I had a chance to kind of go a little deeper into this. I got to tell you, I think he did it. And it very well may, I don't even know if this matters or not. Maybe this friend of his, Jay, helped him or not. I've convinced myself that Anna said certainly killed Haman Lee. I, don't, I really don't even think there's much of a doubt in all of this at all. Once again, I know I'm not a murder guy. Yes, I know that they didn't find any of his DNA with her or anything like that. But I have certainly, 
it, the thing is, is that what are the odds? And I realize there's this uh, Asia McLean who gave him an alibi that he, he, she saw him or talked to him at the library that day. I think there's enough information there about her. And it seems like she wanted, as we know in disappearances, that, you know, people who infuse themselves into disappearances saying they know things when they really don't because they like the attention or whatever else. Once again, my experiences with disappearances tells me in looking at this murder case that she is one of those people. And what I think really sticks out to me is we have to remember something. It was she who came forward to give him an alibi. It was not the opposite. It was not like as soon as he was charged, hey, wait, 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 wait a minute. I was in the I was in the library speaking to Asia, this girl I know, Asia, when you say that my ex-girlfriend Hamin Lee was killed, and she will vouch for me on this. He didn't do that. She, Asia was the one that came forward, not him. Now, you would think that if he had a solid alibi talking to a girl in the library, that that would have been the first thing out of his mouth. That's not what happened. That, to me, is all really I need to know because what do people do when you get accused of something and you know you didn't do it, you automatically say, hey, wait wait a minute, I wasn't even in the area and here's where I was and I can prove and everything. He did not do that. Um, I, you know, in once again, I haven't listened, I've never listened to an episode of, uh, of Serial. I've really just read about the whole thing like Wikipedia and everywhere else. But I, I can't figure out why this Koenig woman, who was the person who really forward, you know, really headed this up for Serial, for the podcast, why she came away from digging into all of this and really not being convinced that he did it is beyond me. I don't know if she was just doing that to be kind of, uh, you know, just add some drama to the whole thing or whatever. To me, there's no doubt. He absolutely, and you know, what are the odds she gets murdered less than two weeks after she breaks up with him. And they had this on and again, off again relationship already. She had moved on to another guy and it didn't seem like she was going back to Adnan. I mean, what else do we need to know? I mean, this is, this is textbook. This is, this is textbook murder territory. This is also textbook disappearance territory. Um, you know, in, in addition, uh, let me get Bets back so I can see what everybody's saying. Um, uh, it's crazy. Marty, this is a very polarizing case. I believe there's no doubt that he had some part in her death. Charlotte, I've always believed that Adnan was guilty. Marty, I'm on the same page there. There's no doubt in my mind. If he didn't do it by himself, he was involved. Marty, yes, Asia has proven not to be a very reliable source. She says, me too. I wanted to believe he was innocent, but too many things pointed directly to him. She had tunnel vision. It was a great time to be politically correct. Leah, I did listen to it years ago, and I agree with you. I think he did at Rockford. I'm about to dive into an eight-parter on the case the Crime Weekly did. Do not fret, Ed and Marty. It will not distract me from my unfound quest. I hope it wouldn't, Rockford. It's it just, you know, and this, but the thing is, here's the, the flip side of that. This just, you know, it's like, um, what is it? Uh, be careful what you ask for. You just might get it. That... This is one of the problems with DNA. 
You know, of all the people in all these cold cases that have been solved going back to the 70s and 60s and 50s, you know, cases, murder cases that nobody thought would ever be solved with the um, the coming, the birth of DNA evidence. Really, I always usually put it like in the mid-90s, like it started right around when the Internet started. At least that's the way I think about it. Surely it has helped solve a lot of those cases. Now, unfortunately, a lot of those killers have already dead, dead by the time it's all discovered. But this is the flip side. This is the downside of DNA. Because what has happened? Because none of Adnan's DNA was found with her, it automatically causes a lot of people to think, well, he didn't do it. Well, you know, you can pull off murders and not leave any DNA behind. And you could even do it without even intending to, without any plan like that. It is possible. But it's clear to me the way I read it and have studied it is that the reason people think that he's innocent is because of the DNA DNA primarily. And to me, that is flawed thinking. It, it, it is surely flawed. Um, Marty says, Rockford, I've listened to that deep dive. It's a good one, Rockford. Good to know. Thanks for the recommendation. Confirmation. Okay. It's clear to me that the, the reason a lot of people think that he's innocent is because his DNA was not found with her. But... Yeah, I guess other DNA was. Well, who who knows else who Haman Lee was around? Also, what sounds kind of strange to me is that she was strangled. She was manually strangled, meaning somebody didn't use like uh, a rope or a belt or something like that to strangle her. Somebody strangled her with her, their bare hands. Now, are you really telling me that some killer was just cruising around that area looking to strangle somebody a girl a woman with their hands that seems like my perception once again what we know about killers and you know serial killers who eventually got caught they usually don't leave a lot up to chance because they want to succeed they want to get away with it so you tell me what kind of killer is just driving around and without any weapons or anything and decides I'm going to kill a woman with my bare hands. It, you know, what if she has a knife? What if she has a gun? You know, what if this, what if that? To me, somebody who's a real killer would think those things through. Who wouldn't think that through? Probably the ex-boyfriend of Hamin Lee. Because it's a crime of passion. I'm not saying he meant to kill her. I'm not saying he got up that day intending to kill Haman Lee. But he did it. I think, you know, they that they did run into each other after school that day. And she said, no, I'm not going back to you. And then he just, he just in a fit of rage, did that. It's, it's one of the most common types of murders out there. One of the most common types. It's also one of the most common disappearances out there. And it's, it's, you know, this is, and may, you know, and, and, and I have to tell you, I even had a conversation, um, you know, as much as I can say with my assistant Sheree and Eric yesterday, you know, talking about a little bit about media being that I am a reporter. 
I do a particular, I only do stories on one particular thing and that's disappearances, but I am a reporter. And the more I do this job, you know, you get to see like behind the curtain because I get to plan my own episodes. I get to plan how these disappearances are going to be presented and everything. Um, this kind of presentation that Serial obviously did, leaving the idea that there were some big questions whether Adnan, Adnan killed them or not, is everything that is wrong with media today. Everything that is wrong. Um, and it frustrates me because it's within the business. And I realized the American public, I'm just going to speak. I'm not going to speak for you, the real down in Australia and anybody else listening from another country. I'm just going to stick to my own you know, country with our own media and everything else. It, it's, it, it frustrates me to no end. This, you know, this is, I mean, we have to remember this murder is now over 20 years old and there's still many people that think that Adnan is, is innocent. He's not. And what didn't help things was the way, now, of course, I know that a jury found him guilty and I think that that was the right decision, thankfully. But you start to wonder do people cover these disappearances or cover these murders or anything else just to be contrarians? Just to be, just because, you know, if you do a podcast, for example, like Serial or whatever, and you come to the same conclusion that the jury did, well, that doesn't generate a lot of discussion. But you know what does generate a lot of discussion? If you decide, you decide already that you're going to come to an opposite conclusion. And it's so much of that goes on in American media today that it is sickening to me as a reporter. You don't cover something objectively because you're afraid it won't get the views and likes and shares and everything else that you want and you need. And I, I, I think I'm happy to say, I think that that's not what I do. Um, because once again, I, I think that, um, you know, because I read what this Koenig woman who did this, you know, said at the end, well, you know, she's still not sure. Really? Or are you just saying that so people will continue to discuss this and the merits and everything else? That is not the job of a reporter. The job of a reporter is to go out to get the information and give the facts to the public in the most unbiased way possible. It's not to be tricky about things. And obvious to me, the reason that Serial was so, so, so popular is because the people who came into this came in with an agenda. They saw something that... Uh, of course, it it probably helped. It's two different minorities. We have, um, you know, Middle Eastern young man dating an Asian woman, and she's the victim, and he uh, was convicted. 
And could it be that he was convicted because he's Muslim and everything? That's not something I think they convicted him because he did it. I don't care, you know, what his religion or ethnicity or race or anything else was. But I, um, it, it I, you know, too, and too much of it goes on in true crime. It goes on in sports and movies and video games and media all over the place. But being that I do true crime and cover disappearance is one of the most serious topics on the face of the earth. I just hate it when people who are supposed to be reporters play things up and are, and are very biased about it because they know that they're just contrarians. Whatever the decision is, I'm going to cover it in the opposite way because that generates conversation. It sucks. It sucks. And this is a little bit uh, the conversation that I had with uh, my assistant Cherie and Eric yesterday because, um, you know, I wonder what my role should be or needs to be in telling all of you about this. You know, do I have to be like the town crier and get up on my soapbox and tell you how much, and I know you listen to a lot of other different podcasts, and I know you watch a lot of different YouTube channels and everything else, and uh, I, I just, you know, I have a problem. You know, I know I'm, I, I have a problem with a lot of it, and that's probably why I stay away from it, probably. Um... Let's see what everybody's saying here. Uh, Marty says, once he heard his friend was brought in for questioning, Adnan drove by where a body would be found. No doubt he did it. Sheree, that's exactly what happened here. They covered Bo Bergdahl right after one of the most polarizing topics. Right? They did that one too. Mark, unfortunately, I'm not going to make it till the end tonight. Hope everyone had a uh, Mark, thank you for joining in. Uh, thank you for hanging around as much, uh, as much as you did. Thank you. Leah says, yeah, like the Stephen Avery case. Uh, unfortunately, Leah, uh, I know the name, but that is about it. But I just want you to all realize that. That when you, I, I, I hope that when you watch or listen to other uh, true crime news or TV shows or whatever, you're really thinking about, is this being covered objectively or am I being manipulated just because they want to leave a mark or something? Are they doing this just to be contrarians? Because we, you know, we all have contrarians in our lives. We know that we have people who we know to stay away from when it comes to conversations because we know when no matter what we say, that person's probably going to say the opposite. They're, they're what I would, in, in my own life, I have people like that. I call them provocateurs. All right. They want to provoke you. They're not necessarily doing it to be mean, but it's just kind of a psychological thing. You, you say something's black, they'll say it's white. The sky is blue, no, it's red. And I think that that's what goes on a lot in true crime, just to be tricky. You know, um, being that we may be covering a very, very well-known disappearance within the next month, that is surely going on there. And I was just reading about something about this today uh, where um, 
You know, unfortunately, the way social media and the internet is, you get more attention when you take the opposite point of view, even though it flies in the face of all the facts, it's easy, much more easier to get attention that way than covering something and talking about something objectively. It's one of the worst things about the internet. You know, it's, it's like the flat earth people. I don't think any of those people really believe that the earth is flat. They say it because they know that they can't get any attention saying anything else in their lives. That's why they do it. They love the attention that being totally contrarians get them. They know that the earth isn't flat. Well, I just think that there's a lot of people who are regular reporters and all sorts of aspects of our society, especially who true, who true crime, that do the same thing. And so this brings me back around to serial. It just doesn't make any sense to me that anybody who really dug deep into this dis- or this murder and everything could ever come away with it and thinking, you know what? I still have questions. It's crazy. It's crazy. Uh, you'd be infuriated by it, making a murder. Uh, Stephen A. Rio K. is so true, Ed. Thank you, Charlotte. The real, you're describing one of my pet peeves, but I'm a, I am got a long list. Lisa, I tell my kids always have an open mind. I got this advice from a coworker. And it's good advice in general. You do a great job of that. Thank you. Oh, no, excluding the flat earth theory. No open, no open mind about that. But that's a good example of it. Contrarians. These are people who know that if they really talked about what they really believe about the earth and, and everything, they wouldn't get any attention. Because you know what they'd say? Oh, yeah, the earth is round. It's a ball. It's just a big blue ball. But that doesn't get any attention. That's the same way I feel about conspiracy theories people do. The reason they do that is because it gets them attention, not because they actually believe it. The problem is, is when you have a person in a reporter position who presents it to all of you as if they're being objective. That's when the problems start. For, you know, just people get together on, you know, web sleuths and want to throw around theories and have kooky ideas and everything. You know, but during the day, there are accountants and engineers and everything else. I don't know how much totally that matters. But when you are in a position as a reporter and your job is to bring information to the people and so they can make good decisions on it, if they are actually contrarians and provocateurs as well, this is how media gets so screwed up. And that is one of the main reasons that media is so screwed up in the United States, for sure has nothing to do necessarily with any particular topic or side or anything else. It's just people just in positions of being reporters like to be provocateurs because that gets them more attention and more eyeballs than actually just reporting what's true. Because some, you know, most of the time reporting the truth can be boring. It's not boring to me, but uh, it's just the way I look at it. And I think I can talk because I've been doing this for almost seven years. Um, uh, mistake makes sense, Donna says. All right, one, one, one more thing. I want to talk about these two fakers. Um, there's actually two of them. Of course, we have this um, woman, Chloe Stein, in Pennsylvania, who told her family and friends that she was going to Penn State, and she was due to uh, graduate this May, but it turned out that she had dropped out of college and wasn't about to graduate at all. And in fact, she didn't just 
dropout like last semester, like in 2022, she hadn't been going to Penn State for a couple years. And, um, you know, she faked her own abduction. And then she was eventually found actually in a town uh, that that I know uh, very, very well in, in a place, Jeanette, a place, a town that I've been to many, many times way back in the day. They used to have some really nice car shows over there. And there was a big illegal street racing scene over in that area. Don't ask me how I know. But, um, you know, she faked that she got, you know, she said a fake, a cop pulled her over to the side of the road and, and everything else. And as state police trooper Steve Lamonti said in news conference Tuesday, the department spent tens of thousands of dollars in the search, which included a flying, a flying a helicopter in the area where she went missing but the case unraveled when a tip came in tuesday i think that would have been last tuesday that stein was actually at a home in Jeanette, about 30 miles southeast of pittsburgh when officers arrived they found her safe inside and she was taken in for questioning at the state police station stein told officers she was pulled over and abducted by an unknown male who posed as a police officer the criminal complaint said she said her abductor had a firearm she was blindfolded and taken to various locations in the area but eventually um they saw through this story uh, and it's horrible, you know, of course, being the disappearances are my thing. Uh, this kind of, you know, stuff is a nightmare. Uh, and unfortunately it gets so much attention. It deserves to be out there. People need to know, but unfortunately all this does is for the next time somebody goes missing you know how many in the public are going to think ah it's probably fake this is no different than like with sherry papini but if uh luckily uh she did get caught now the big question i have is so what was she doing for these couple of years she said she was going um she said she was going to penn state she said she was going to school what exactly was she doing for the last couple years where was she going um, you know, I, I think it's a little bit different with Sherry Papini in that I forget how many days that she was missing, but, you know, she wasn't missing for two years. You know, she wasn't saying that she was doing something when she did something else. She, of course, claimed that she got abducted when really she went to go see this other guy and stayed at his place for a while. So I just wonder with this close Stein, where she was going and what she was doing, uh, maybe that will eventually come out. And it would seem to me that somebody else had to know that she was faking this the whole time. Um, who let her get away with this? What exactly was she doing for money and, and everything else? It all is still very up in the air to me. So I, I'm hoping that, one of these days we find out what she was doing instead of going uh, to school. But you should know this is common. Uh, I, well, I shouldn't say it's common. It's unusual, but it's not rare. Uh, it seems like maybe twice or three times a year we come up with some story like this where some teenager, some early 20-something was telling a family and friends, yeah, I'm going to school, I'm going to school, I'm going to school. And then the person hasn't been going to school and it dropped out. Now, in those situations, my perception is what usually happens is that, unfortunately, the person ends up committing suicide or something, can't own up to it. Um, 
fortunately or unfortunately, Klostein uh, did not know, did not do this. Now, as far as a penalty, of course, I'm hoping that it's to the fullest extent of the law, and then some. Um. So, um, mixed things. All right, guys, I got to go tonight. Have a good week, everyone. All right, see you, Marty. Thanks for joining in tonight. So that's one faker story, the woman who was claiming she was going to Penn State when she wasn't. And then the other faker was the social media in, you know, influencer, which is a whole other topic for another time, uh, that blamed uh, – and this is I – mean, you know, talk about racist. A social media influencer's viral Instagram video and false police report that blamed a Latino couple for trying to kidnap her children has landed her in jail. Kathleen Sorensen, 31, was convicted by a jury in Sonoma County, California, for knowingly making a fake false re- report of an attempted kidnap. Back in December 2020, Sorensen told police that a Petaluma couple tried to abduct her two kids from the parking lot of Michael's Craft Store and then went into great detail about the supposed abduction in an Instagram video that she didn't tell police. She also talked about the fake abduction case on local news outlets and pointed at a couple seen on the store's security cameras as the kidnappers. And on Thursday, a jury convicted her on the misdemeanor charge after deliberating for a day, but cleared her of two other counts of filing a false police report. Now, she was, you know, once again, somebody self-labeling, or as I like to say, self-glossing herself as an influencer. And what happened? She didn't have a lot of, she wasn't getting a lot of attention on Instagram. So what'd she do? She came up with this story. You know, uh, yeah, well, somebody tried to abduct my kids. This is Latino, Hispanic couple tried to take my kids. And automatically she's on the local news. Everybody's following her on Instagram. The problem with her is she didn't know when to shut up. You know, her story kept getting, uh, you know, more intricate, more intricate, more intricate. You know why that happens? Because the more intricate story she told, the more and more people followed her. Once again, one of those bad things about the internet and how this all works. And there's too many people who get involved in this stuff. You know, the Sorensen account has been deleted, uh, but the recording that she made on her Instagram top going, you know, in, in this account going into all of this uh, was in great detail. And, uh, but, you know, you read a little more about her. <clears throat> See, she certainly, outside of even this, she certainly was some sort of kook or something. But then her lawyer, Charles Dressau, uh, told the Press Democrat, the verdict of not guilty as to the counts one and two rejects the theory that my client, client lied to the police on December 7th. You, you know, lawyers, gotta love them, gotta hate them. The jury reviewed the actual evidence and found it to be very different than how the case has been portrayed outside the courtroom. We are disappointed as to count three, and we'll evaluate our options moving forward. Uh, hey, Charles, the kidnapping didn't happen. She did lie. Okay. There's no debating that. The kids were not kidnapped. It did not happen. The police were able to track down the couple who she claimed kidnapped, tried to kidnap her kids. They didn't do it. Man, I'm glad I didn't become a liar. But this is kind of the times that we live in. We, we live in times... A lot of desperate people. Um, and it, it, you know, it, it doesn't help that, um, 
you see so many people, you know, I think one of the big problems is that, you know, there've always been rich people and poor people, you know, going, of course, well, you know, you know, to the beginning of time. The problem we have now is that with social media, it's much easier for the have nots to see what the haves have. It's, and it's a problem. And we, you know, and the, of course, then all these sort of these perceptions get created about how, you know, the other half is living and everything else. And really, they're not doing well either. You have to realize that a lot of these people who, you know, portray themselves as being great on social media and everything, they're just a bunch of liars. They're just a bunch of liars. But they do it because they get attention and everything else. And, you know, it seems like at least once a month I'm reading about one of these types of people who, uh, you know, are committing suicide. And, and, you know, it's just. And obviously, me, this woman, she wanted to be one of those people and she was willing to do anything to get the attention, to get the followers, to get sympathy and everything else. And what did it do? It ended up getting her put in jail. Uh, let's see. Uh, oh, I'm going to rewatch. Hello, Mary. Coffee. Your Jennifer Pan comes to mind. She pretended to go to school, killed her parents. Rockford. Wasn't it Craig Fear who told his parents he was going to work? No, he didn't claim to be abducted or anything, but it was a similar kind of ruse. Yes. And we're still not sure why he did that, Rockford. Of course, a lot of people want to believe it's because he was getting harassed at work or there's something weird going on at work. That never has seemed to be very real to me. To me, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Sheree, uh, Chandler had killed his parents because he was supposed to be graduating. Um, and then Rockford's keeping uh, track of the, I guess, the Astros game. All right, so those are the topics I wanted to cover tonight. And so I'm going to follow, uh, of course, end where I usually do. I, mean, I didn't get to Michael Chambers, his disappearance and him being found. I didn't get to a couple other things. Maybe next week. But this Friday, we are going to Williston, North Dakota for the disappearance of Barbara Cotton. She was a 15-year-old. She went missing on April 11th of 1981. A uh, family member, uh, her name is Lisa Jo Sheely, is the guest. And... On its surface, if you, for example, if you go to Charlie Project right now and read about Barbara Cotton's disappearance, it seems very straightforward that she was out with this guy and then they left this restaurant, wherever they were, and he says the last time he saw her, she was walking to, to her house and she was walking into this park and she was never seen again. Now, of course, we automatically, if you're falling unfound long enough, you know, this kind of sounds like, uh, you know, a man said type of disappearance. And I would agree with you. On the surface, it does seem like that. But I think what you're going to, to find out that this disappearance could be a lot more complicated than that. It very well may be that this guy still caused Barbara's disappearance. But I think there are also reasons to think that he didn't. And what is really tough about this particular disappearance 
is because is that Barbara's mother, who was very involved in trying to find out what happened to her daughter, it seems like she knew things that she shouldn't have known. There, It's very unclear on how she knew where to call and why she said this and why she said that. And these things ended up being true, but she never really passed on to anybody how she knew these things. And trust me, this is all going to make a lot of sense when you listen to the interview. I don't want to get too deep into it now. Like I said, on the surface, seems to be a very straightforward kind of disappearance. But as soon as we get into some of the intricacies of this, you're going to see what I mean. And the title of this episode is called is Cold and Fuzzy. Of course, the most popular term is warm and fuzzy. Well, this is this disappearance is cold and fuzzy. Why it's cold? Because there's been no real movement on it in over 40 years. But it's fuzzy because the details are not clear at all. In fact, we might even totally reject the idea that Barbara was with this guy that night at all. So this Friday, the disappearance of Barbara Cotton disappeared from Williston, North Dakota on April 11th, 1981. Family member Lisa Jo Sheely is the guest. She is actually related to Julian Quaterio, who was the guest for the Judy Brown, Richard Riesenberg episode from about six weeks ago, coincidentally. And uh, this episode is called Cold and Fuzzy. So that's all I got for tonight. Uh, the real, we had a high profile case like that in Australia in the 90s. Name was Fairly and Arrow. Fairly Arrow. It worked to an extent. She posed for Penthouse Magazine after that. We'll look at her. Lisa, Ed, thanks for doing the show even when you weren't feeling well. This is an epic live show. One of the best. Thank you, Lisa. Charlotte's getting out of here. Feel better. Y'all keep your head on a swivel. Yeah, I'm getting out of here too. See you, Jasmine. See Rockford. Uh, yeah, that is the end of the show. Thank you for all uh, joining in tonight. Please give this live show a thumbs up. Please consider joining this channel or going over to patreon.com forward slash unfound podcast. Uh, Charles, thank you for watching again tonight. Say hi to the boys for me. And you will hear no video this week. Of course, it'll be on the YouTube channel, but I didn't video this interview I did with Lisa Joe. So um, that you will hear me this Friday and hopefully I will be feeling better. Um, I am worn out, but good night, everyone. Thank you so much. And uh, stay safe out there. Keep your heads on swivel. Good night. <laughs>